Welcome to the Deed and Truth Podcast, where we explore loving God and loving our neighbor, not just in words, but also in actions, and with the Bible as the standard and source of truth. I'm Tommy Morris, your host, and with me today is Pastor Andy Crumpler from Live Oak Church Navarre. Andy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Good to be here. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So how, how's everything been going for you this week? Well, you know, we're live and breathing and, <laughs> you know, the family's alive and here we are. And they're breathing. And they're breathing. <laughs> the fundamentals, yes. Still. The fundamentals. Well, this is good. So Andy and I have talked a little while about recording and uh, finally this week came to a topic and kind of piggybacking on last week where we discussed for the last two weeks, God loving us. And then Joey and I discussed loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. This week, I wanted to address this question that we've heard often growing up. What is the chief end of man? And so I've heard this growing up, Andy, and I've always heard the answer. The chief end of man is to, to uh, glorify God and enjoy him forever. Had no clue where that came from. No clue of its origination. No clue who, if it was a quote from somebody specific. I mean, I knew it wasn't specifically from the Bible, but didn't know where it came from. So in research, found that it's from the uh, Westminster Shorter Catechism. Yeah. So yep. did not know that. Was there someone specific? Was it Thomas Watson or was somebody so specific? I don't know. I looked that, that up too. I was yeah. trying to find somebody to attribute it to and I couldn't find anything. So yeah, I saw his name thrown around, but then I could never find anything that directly attributed it to him. But something that I've heard uh, almost in the sense of it becoming maybe cliche even to kind of hear growing up. So the reason this topic interested me was I've heard, or I saw on Facebook a couple times over the last few weeks, people writing about our purpose in life. One of the Facebook posts I saw said that our purpose in life, uh, and this is kind of to, to summarize what was said, is to excel at everything so that we can help others. And then another one stated our purpose in life is to gather as many resources as possible and then give the excess away. I'd say those those raise questions, right? If those are our purposes. So. Feels like something's left out or it's, it's kind of an incomplete thought, right? Yeah, absolutely. So what do you see when I tell you that what immediately what problems or dangers come to your mind? If someone were to say that these are our purposes, this is what we're made for. Well, for me as a believer, the first thing that comes to mind is they totally ignore God. So many people like to focus on good deeds and treating other people with respect, which is all good for society. But as a believer, we have to factor in where God plays in, in the role of how we behave and how we treat others and how we represent Him. Yeah, these that was the first thing that stood out to me too, is these statements are all about us, right? Nothing about God, you know? And then, I mean, it does leave a lot for interpretation. If we're supposed to excel, well, what does that mean? When do we know we've excelled enough to start helping others? Or when, uh, what was the other one? Gain as many resources as possible, right? So how many resources is enough for you? Or <laughs> what's open to opportunities for gain? Is stealing? That's gaining as many resources The ends as justify possible. the means exactly. kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because in the end, if I'm willing to give it away, right, my excess, then sure, it's okay. Then right? we got there. We we needed to get to where we needed to get. Absolutely. So it does. It leaves a lot out there, and it um, it's just a totally incomplete thing that negates God completely, leaves Him out of anything for our purpose. You know, so that that really brought me back to what's interesting. <laughs> Side note, real quick, is uh, in our next episode. In the next episode, I'll be talking with someone about loving our neighbors. And here, love the neighbor as you love yourself. This kind of goes along with that thought where people say, "Well, I." have to love myself before I can love my neighbor. Well, it's kind of that same mentality here of, well, this purpose is for me, 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 me. And then once I'm enough, once I've done enough for me or I have enough for me, 
then I'm going to help others. And then you'll see my true heart of, of whatever virtue. So I want to get into this. You know, this, this brought that question of, okay, obviously there's something wrong with stating that these are the purposes of man. So what, what is our purpose? And that brought me back to this question from my childhood. What is the chief end of man? So I know that John Piper has been very influential in your life. And there is a, a way that he kind of worded this, that as soon as I brought this topic up to you, you brought this up to me. And what, what is that wording that he has? So in his introduction to the book, Desiring God, John Piper brings up this shorter catechism question. And he says that he would change one word. So the answer to the question is man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And he said he would just like to tweak one word by changing and to buy. So man's chief end is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. And his point is that the way that we glorify God is by enjoying God. And he goes into the rest of that book into great detail about how obedience to God is really loving God, that we glorify God by obeying God. We glorify God by enjoying God so this idea of obedience, that was some of what Joey and I talked about last week, that you know our obedience is not to earn God's love. Our obedience is out of a love for God. And that kind of parlays into this. Song. So I want to get into that a little bit more. But first, I want to kind of throw some stuff out there, right? I read this article by Tim Chalice where he was discussing this very thing. And he brings up this conversation that he had with a pastor who disagreed and said that the, the chief end of man was evangelism, that that was our ultimate ultimate thing. And so you see churches nowadays who will say that that is their purpose, uh, so much so that we've heard pastors say, if you're looking to grow or if you're already a Christian or whatever, they'll make some statement like that. This church isn't for you. We're here to reach the lost. And so they've they've become so hyper-focused on that, which is a good thing. That is a biblical thing. And yet they're saying that's our ultimate purpose is to win souls. So before we get into all of the things in scripture and what it means to glorify God, what, what do we say when someone comes with something that is biblical? It is something we're called to do. Evangelism is something we're called to do. I don't want to say we're called to win souls, but we are called to evangelize and we can get into that but what do we say about that if you were to face this person or someone like this arguing that this is our ultimate purpose well as a pastor i am in a profession where success is very often defined by numbers how much money did you collect this year and how many people were there and how many baptisms and if you think about that very question it's a little bit hilarious to even think that we would measure success in that way As a pastor, I tend to think of success as being making disciples. And those aren't things you can measure. There's no blood test to see if somebody is in the faith. You know, we don't have any measurable things. So what we do is we try to measure uh, numbers like how many people were baptized or how many people showed up Sunday or how much money came into the offering plate because we can easily evaluate success in those ways. The problem is... What are you using to produce those numbers? We can do a lot of things to get a lot of people to come to places, and (laughs) most of those are not very holy. So when we say, I think that as a measure of success, it's easy to say we exalt evangelism above other things. Mm -hmm. However, evangelism is really a subsection of what we're called to do as followers of Christ. And we can even do evangelism with very poor motives to the point that it really is not a holy act whatsoever. Yeah, it can be. I mean, I've seen that growing up, right? We had X number of professions of faith, and yeah, but the church itself seems to not grow over the next 
last six months. <laughs> and it's like, what happened to them all? Where did they go? And, you know, but it also, I mean, I immediately thought, well, then what was all the other parts of the Bible written for? Why do we have so much New Testament if really the end purpose is just that we're supposed to evangelize? Why didn't Jesus just right. do this great commission, say, go evangelize, and then the end? Yeah. Revelation. <laughs> Right. Well, and, and what was his great commission? As you go, make disciples. That was his great commission. And certainly evangelism is part of making disciples because it is a process by which a lost person yeah. becomes a follower of Christ. Mm-hmm. But it is a very small section of what it is that we're called to do as believers. Well, part three of the Great Commission is teaching them. Yeah. Right? So we can't stop with part one. Well, he would probably stop with part two. I'm sure we'd be baptized, right? Because that's another... That's another another check. Yeah. It's another quantifiable thing. But then you end at part three of teaching them as part of that discipleship and growing them up. So yeah, a lot of of issues with this. And ultimately, what is even the, the purpose of all that? It is to go back to what we're saying, to bring glory to God. Even in evangelism, it's not to glorify ourselves, kind of like you were saying of doing it for the wrong motives or clicking numbers. Evangelism is for God to be glorified. So even then, we're still coming back to the ultimate purpose of it being this very thing, to glorify God. And when I was a youth pastor, we had a seventh grade kid and we had a guest speaker and he came in and he asked the question, why did Jesus have to die? Why did Jesus come to die? And many, most people said, well, to save us from our sins. And he just raised his hand and he said, actually, that's only half of the reason. That's the, the first half of the reason, to save us from our sins. He said the real reason Jesus came to die was so that he would save us from our sins, so that we would live our lives for his glory. And so he just completed <laughs> the picture there, this yeah. uh, 13-year-old kid. Wow. And uh, it was pretty amazing to, to see how he processed that very quickly. Yeah. So I have, uh, I actually have this, I had this on my notes and in your notes as well. You, we were talking about First Corinthians ten, right? Mm-hmm. Whether uh, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So that right there, I think, speaks to or lays this foundation of what it's all about. So speak to that a little bit, just in, in, in Paul's words, kind of what thoughts you had with that. Well, with any conversation about something that's not in the Bible, I think we ought to start with some biblical context for it. So we're talking about a question that's part of a Westminster Catechism. So it's not the Apostle Paul who wrote the chief end of man is to do these things. Yeah. So where is the scriptural foundation for that? Where is the scriptural calling for that? And we see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we see exactly that in verse 31. He says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And the bigger context of that is... It's in the middle of this paragraph on Christian freedoms, uh, particularly on eating meat sacrificed to idols. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting to me that this this verse, which I think is really a biblical grounding for the answer to this catechism, is couched in glorifying God through our love of other people, yeah. by our love of other people, and by our obedience. So first of all, we have a freedom, but how do we use those freedoms to love others instead of just glut ourselves on those freedoms? That's good. Yeah, that's good. And I'm glad that that we're we're going into this part because I, like I said, growing up for me, it was something I heard so much that it it did become cliche. And I don't know that people really think like, okay, we say this. What does the Bible say about it? You know. So it's good to lay this foundation. So so I want to continue on this path and and just you know look at what else does scriptures say about this or how does scripture help to kind of validate this answer to the question how does it help support it well so we see that 
uh, we're called to do everything for the glory of God. And then I like to reference the psalmist in Psalm 73, verse beginning of verse 23. It says, Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. So we're beginning to introduce this concept of desiring God of wanting more and more of God. He says, My heart, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is my strength, or God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And we see that the psalmist is, is loving God in this way, that there's this de- desire for it. I, I think of another verse that I have no reference for currently <laughs> that says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, there's this invitation to try God, to put your faith in this in this area of trying God. And the promise is that we will see that he is good. Um, there's New Testament commands to rejoice in all things, to rejoice. And again, I will say re- rejoice. Yeah, for um, Thessalonians. Yeah, to do all things with a thankful heart. And these these commands that we place joy in God, or these commands are even to be joyful about difficult circumstances, can only be that way because we have a greater promise. So wait, wait, you're, you're saying difficult circumstances, so... You're telling me enjoying God isn't about the the good things. Well, <laughs> We're not just easy, talking about the blessings. It? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Easy. Your best life now. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you went there. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. But no, I won't edit that. <laughs> but no, yeah. So I mean, that raises the question, right? Where is this? Uh, maybe this dichotomy that people maybe struggle like are both possible. Can I glorify God and enjoy Him? Because when I look at glorifying God, I look at Oh, being a martyr or, you know, suffering for my faith or forsaking all things to follow him, you know, as he puts, as he calls for in Luke 14 to be your disciple, you know, or, or even his challenge to uh, the young rich man to say, sell all that you have and come follow me. Like, okay, though that's glorifying God, but enjoying him, Mm -hmm. that's living in his blessings and all these good things. (laughs) And, and so, you know, I think it can become easy to look at the, the dichotomy of the two and go, well, this is two separate things. And so we can talk a lot about glorifying God. God, and we do in the church talk a lot about glorifying God without ever really defining it yeah. or giving any more thought to it than like, hey, you should glorify God, or hey, we're called <laughs> to glorify God. Yeah. And that's a great command, but what in the world does it mean? Right. What's it look like? Yeah. So to right. me, I think of glorifying God as living my life in such a way that people come to a deeper understanding, a correct understanding of who God is. And so a guy in our parking lot at church one day just said to me that, you know, I wake up every morning and I just ask, how can I live my life so that someone would know Jesus better? Mm-hmm. And I thought that is an awesome way to approach life. And so I adopted it. And uh, I just think each morning when I get up, if I really want to glorify God, I ask that question, how can I live my life in such a way that people know Jesus better because they interacted with me today? So it's Certainly not something I'm Hmm. wildly successful at doing, but it is something that I strive for when I think about it, when I'm not depressed by all of the other things pressing in around me or when, (laughs) you know, when when a good brother can take the time to remind me of that then it's, it's easier for me to approach my day with joy because I'm focused on how I can help other people understand Jesus better than I am about whatever selfish motivation might be going on at the time. So in this, I mean, we're, look, we're saying, you're saying, I mean, we're saying that even the hard times, yeah, we can enjoy God. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, I, I would say we saw Paul demonstrate that. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, I, I would uh, dare not say that Paul's life was all easy, right? Right, and and that there was the ability to both enjoy him and bring him glory in suffering and hardship. Well, I, I think there has to be a value change in our hearts. What are the things that we treasure in our hearts? Because the things that we treasure are so often going to determine our joy. If we really treasure a big bank account, then we can become very distressed when something interferes with that. If we really treasure somebody's approval of us, then when they withhold that approval, we can become distressed and upset. So what is it that we treasure in our hearts? If we treasure things that are imperishable, we treasure things that cannot be stolen, if we treasure things that can be guaranteed, then our joy is guaranteed. And when I think about uh, this concept of joy and this concept of who Christ is in us and how it changes that valuation of what we really treasure in our hearts, I always think of Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, which says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. It's such a simple one-verse parable that Jesus told, yet it says so much about eternal life. So he equates this to a man who finds a treasure hidden in a field, and the treasure is immediately recognized to be of great worth. And it's funny how we are so wired in our own mentality, in our own thought process, to treasure dollar bills to treasure gold, to treasure things that we can see and touch, and how unskilled we are at truly treasuring those things that have eternal value. And so Jesus is making this point that when this man saw this treasure hidden in a field, he covered up because he covered it back up because he wanted to legitimately obtain that field so that that treasure may be his. And it says that he sold in his joy, is the key there, in his joy, he goes and sells Everything he has and buys that field. And it speaks to me of how everything that I possess is of a fraction of value to eternal life or to what Jesus has called me to. Therefore, everything that I possess is worth expending on that pursuit. And the other verse that came to mind was Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, which says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered, and this is what's so important to me, this is the verse that I try to keep on my mind daily, he considered the reproach, the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So there was a change in value for Moses. He valued something, which this verse says was the reproach of Christ, being suffering for Jesus, greater than he valued all the treasures of Egypt, which was the richest country in the world. And which he would have benefited from greatly being taken in. The adopted, he was the adopted grandson of Of Pharaoh. Pharaoh. Yeah, so being in that line, he would have been very well taken care of. Yeah. And I think the thing that we see today is a complete flip of that. Yeah. Where we value the treasure and the mansion and the wealth. And we actually look at that as our best life now or God, you know, putting his stamp of approval on us. That is enjoying God. Yeah. Where the writer of Hebrews is here saying the complete opposite. 
saying that actually suffering for Christ is of greater value Mm -hmm. because Christ is of greater value than all of those riches. Right. So one of the things that I hear people saying as they are doing their deconversion or deconstructing their faith, they always get tripped up on this, God is unfair. Somebody died or somebody went bankrupt or some circumstances in this life didn't pan out like they thought they should. Therefore, I'm not going to obey God anymore. I'm not going to worship God anymore. I'm going to abandon God because God is a terrible God to let these bad things happen. So when we do not switch our valuation system from this temporary world to something that's eternal, those are the kind of thoughts we begin to have. There has to be a supernatural enabling to value God's holiness for the way that the scripture places value on that holiness. Until we can make that switch, until we can see God is far more valuable and God's holiness is far richer, we will never make the switch to understanding many of the things that we see in the Old Testament. Well, and it's it shaped the, this, which I'll say there's nothing new under the sun. It, I say it's shaped this new push of progressive Christianity now right. that has that same mentality of saying, well, as much as it was unfair for God of the Old Testament to do that, it's also unfair for God of the now to do that in the end times, right? Yeah. It would be unfair for him to bring wrath and judgment and death upon those who reject him, right? who live in rebellion against him, who hold to sin and reject him. And they would say that that same thing. They would say that's unfair. And again, it is a improper valuation of God and his holiness and who yeah. he is. And so we get statements like, well, I don't think, I, I can't believe in a God that would send anybody to hell. And all that statement says is that I see human nature as more valuable than the holiness of God. And it's just not a good evaluation when we're talking about God. But it's the evaluation we're left with in our society that doesn't honor or value God at all. That means that whole humanism, I mean, it's self-worship. Putting other humans at that valuation over God starts with us doing it with ourselves. We start with elevating ourselves and our self-worth higher than God, and we have that self-worship. And then to justify that, people want to put that same valuation and lift up the value of other people above God. So now we can justify our own narcissistic self-worship. I think it's important to get to the root of this of why is that the chief end? To glorify God because simply because he's worthy. Yeah. Because he is worthy, because he is a holy God. He is a mighty God. He is so great and so worthy that it has to be what it's all about. It has to be our response to who he is and how holy he is. Has to be. And if I ask you, what are you going to do today? You're going to give me a list of things that you want to do or things that you have to do, generally speaking. If I tell you that tomorrow Jesus Christ is going to plant one foot on on the earth and one foot on the sea and he's going to blow a trumpet and we're going to go stand before God in the judgment, you might choose to do different things. I would think. I would think, yeah. I mean, I'm not doing laundry. I'm not doing the lawn either. (laughs) No. No, I think we would take today... With a little more weight, right? Yeah, I mean, a lot more seriously. Yeah, and and you and I have had these conversations in the past about kind of this eternal mindset versus this temporal earthly mindset and, and how that impacts how we live our life. And that plays into this. When you have that earthly mindset and focus and this worldview of 
earthly things, you place value on earthly things. And then you live your life as though those are the most important things. They're the things to accumulate and to treasure and to put your money and your effort and your time and everything towards. But when you start to move into that eternal mindset and understanding that that could be tomorrow, right? We don't know. It can radically change your view, your thoughts, ultimately your actions and how you live out each day. Well, and that's the Hebrews passage. And it, it, it doesn't say that Moses looked at the reproach of Christ or looked at the suffering with God's people as what he wanted to do that day. It says that he valued it as greater than all the wealth of Egypt. And there's that little key word at the end or that statement at the end for he was looking to the reward. And so when we yeah. think about what is the motive for our obedience or what is the motive for us correctly evaluating what is before us, it is, are we going to evaluate it with a temporary mindset of yeah. how is this going to make me feel today? Or are we going to evaluate what we do with an eternal mindset that says there's coming a time when I will reap all of the rewards that Christ has promised, all of the rewards and all of the benefits that are in Christ because of salvation. There's coming a time where I'm going to fully enjoy that, but it's not now. Well, yeah. And, and when you, I mean, if you were to just look up hope and look up passages about our hope, Right. Overwhelmingly, you are going to find that when it speaks of our hope, it is a future eternity with Christ thing. That is our hope. Our hope is not in deliverance in this lifetime or a cushy lifestyle or whatever. Now, our hope is an eternal hope. Well, since you put that ball on the tee for me... First Peter 1, 8 and 9 says, though you have not seen him, you love him. It's that eternal motivation, right? You've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy. I like to rejoice with joy. Yeah, That's yeah. a good thing to do. You rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So it is a it is a future hope. It is something that that lies beyond this life. Paul said in Romans chapter 8 verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And so he's saying, yeah, I know where I'm going to take the gospel is going to be treacherous. I know where I'm going to take the gospel is going to probably result in persecution or even death, but it's worth it because what it will bring about is a future glory. There is a glory that is waiting for those who are obedient to the gospel that the trials and tribulations for living according to the gospel here cannot even begin to compare with the value and the reward for being obedient later. Yeah, and I'm, and that goes into what we talked about earlier with Paul and why he's able to express express himself in a way that shows him in, still enjoying God, Yeah, even though times are tough. We'd see him singing while in shackles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's it's important to state that this is saying in, enjoy God. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean you, you're necessarily enjoying your circumstances, right? right. You, I, I'm sure Paul doesn't enjoy being in shackles. Uh, I'm sure we don't enjoy if we face hard times, but we enjoy God. And because of that, God sustains us and, and gets us through that. And that's that's the true meaning when Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So he's not joyful about prison. He's joyful that he was faithful to God. Yeah. 
and that faithfulness landed him in prison. And uh, there is no greater joy for any of us than to lay our head on a pillow at the end of our day, knowing that we've been obedient to our Savior. There is no greater joy for There's no greater peace than to do that. It doesn't matter when that gets you in trouble or when that gets you punished or that brings persecution or when people talk bad about you. You can handle all of those negative consequences when you know that your Creator has said, well done, good and faithful servant. And it shows that enjoying God and glorifying Him is about God. He is the constant. So it doesn't matter if we're preaching and sharing Christ in front of a crowd of 5,000 people, yeah, or we're in jail and we're sharing it with the jailer. Speaking to 5,000 people sounds <laughs> miserable. <laughs> You'd rather be sharing to the I'd one jail. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> You're like, it's quiet here. I like this. But it is true. I mean, our circumstances don't dictate the glory to God and the enjoying him because God is the same in both settings. God is God in the crowd of 5,000 and in the middle of the dungeon with the one jailer. That's he right. is still God and enjoying him is about him, not about where we are or the circumstance or the crowd or the lights or the whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. So preach it, brother. <laughs> Pull my cord. <laughs> All right, so what else you got? I I will agree with Piper in just saying that the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him. Because I believe that when we live our lives with hope and we live our lives surrendered to the calling of God, that we will enjoy God. And in enjoying God, we are going to be a walking billboard for his goodness. We're going to be a walking billboard for the way he changes lives. People don't ask angry, legalistic people the reason for their hope. They ask joyous, <laughs> hopeful people who live with a smile on their face the reason for That's their hope. True. Particularly true. when those circumstances surrounding them are bad. So we have a great opportunity in the society in which we live to give a reason for the hope that is within us because of the way that we live our lives, because of the way we respond to people, because we are joyful in circumstances that we shouldn't be joyful in, because we are polite and kind to people who we should not be kind to. In doing so, we have this great ability to be a witness to the goodness of God. And in doing so, laying up treasures for ourselves in heaven. And, and I do like that. That wording does help it to not look like it's two different things we're to do. Right. It shows that it really, it's it's all intertwined. It's doing it at the same time. It's all, it's part of it. It, it stems from that. When we, are in, when we enjoy him, we walk in the light. We live for him. We love others. We love him. We, we are living a life that brings glory to him and doing that and having a bad attitude while obeying christ is not particularly glorifying to him <laughs> well yeah there's that yeah that's that is true i mean you think about it. yes if we wanted to divide the two and say people can attempt to glorify god well you brought up obedience earlier people can attempt to quote-unquote glorify god because they're doing the things that are supposed to be the right things to do and mm -hmm. be they like you said they can be mad about doing it uh and that is definitely not showing that you're enjoying god prayer i mean you can be mad that you oh i gotta do my devotion or i gotta study for this or i gotta do that or i gotta love this person over here who i, I don't i don't want to forgive them i want to hold on to this grudge and i'll say it i'll do it because that's what i'm supposed to do but but it really gets to the heart and our motivation yeah. in doing those yeah, things right i big mean time. If I forgive somebody so God won't strike me dead, then I, I haven't really, I yeah, haven't really yeah. joyfully forgiven somebody in a way that's going to impact that person for the kingdom. 
So I, I think that I glorify God when I forgive somebody who really just doesn't deserve to be forgiven, and yet I can continually go back and release my desire for retribution or release my desire for them to be punished because of my love for God, not because that person deserves it. And I can rejoice in God in giving that forgiveness you know, I can rejoice in God for uh, being a cheerful giver. I can rejoice in God while obeying his commands that I love my neighbor because I understand that my love for my neighbor is loving God. I understand that loving my neighbor is glorifying to God. So, yeah, there's that. <laughs> you, you brought it up earlier, right, about, so first Thess- I think it's First Thessalonians 4. Five, maybe where Paul says rejoice in all things. Yeah. And you just kind of think about that, that attitude or that attitude of the heart. Along those lines in Philippians, you know, Paul says, do all things. Oh, this is the new King James Version. Um, couldn't pull up the ESV because I can't figure out how to use my app uh, that I normally use. But Philippians 2 verse 14 it says do all things without complaining and disputing and that so you may become blameless and harm, harmless children of god without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world yeah. holding fast the word of life so that i may rejoice again in the day of christ that i have not run in vain or labored in vain so again paul pointing to the future mm-hmm. and pointing towards loving others is saying do all things without grumbling and complaining so just in what we we're saying i mean it's what enjoyment is there what o- obedience is there into god's word for us to go into things and do it with that begrudging complaining heart instead right. of a rejoicing as he says in thessalonians heart but we live in the here and now yeah we do we're motivated by the here and now (laughs) we experience all the pain of living here and now for sure and the eternal benefits and rewards for so many of us are but a dream and that is why i believe it's so important to daily be in god's word Because God's Word does this incredible job of bringing these things back to the front of our mind, of reminding us as followers of Christ that this world's not our home, that we're passing through, that we're called to be ambassadors for Him. We're called to be walking billboards of the goodness of God so that we can be salt and light and, and, and so that we can have an influence in this world for the sake of the kingdom of God. Yeah, good stuff. All right, any other final thoughts on the chief and the man? No, let's enjoy God. Good stuff. All right, Andy. Well, thank you for joining us on the Deed and Truth Podcast. I appreciate you. Yeah, thanks. Thank you for listening. Be sure to tune in every Monday as I have a special guest in the studio to talk with me about what it is to love God and love our neighbors in both deed and in truth. And check us out every Friday for a new episode of Freestyle Friday. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss an episode. Leave us a review and go ahead and share the podcast with your friends. You can also check us out online at deedandtruthpodcast.com and you can connect with us on social media. We're on Twitter at deed underscore truth and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. YouTube by searching the Deed and Truth podcast. All right, until next time.